This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On the Beat show and uh, great show tonight coming up. I'm telling you, second half of the show, we're going to have Ben Watson join us. And, and you see Ben on SEC now and SEC football final. And let me tell you, he has become one of the top analysts in college football, um, just an, an incredible job. With you see him on there with uh, Chris uh, Doring and, and Dari Noka, and, and just so impressed with Ben's knowledge. And and again, I'm going to ask him some tough questions tonight uh, about Georgia, about the rest of the SEC. Um, but let's start out talking about the dogs. Kirby Smart's press conference Monday press conference. Uh, the Javon Bullard status was kind of iffy. He has an ankle injury. Um, obviously you know that, and, you know, Kirby said that sometimes guys have gone and, you know, maybe not worked until Wednesday and still played with this sort of injury. So Kirby, this is probably going to stay pretty gray throughout the week. I don't think he's going to, I mean, he, he probably won't know and not just intentionally being vague, but he probably just won't know. This is that kind of injury and Bullard's that kind of player, uh, against a team like South Carolina. So there, there's no definitive answer there. It sounds like same thing with Lad McConkey. you know, Lad wants to play, um, the back injury, as Kirby said, that can be a little tricky in terms of, you know, how healthy are they? You just It's that one thing where you just don't want to tweak it. You don't want to re-injure it. Um, I don't know that you really need Lad McConkey to beat South Carolina, but at some point you can't just keep him in a glass case. And Lad's not that kind of guy anyway. If he can play, he will. But I do think that Georgia being conservative with these personnel decisions early really pays dividends. And if you think about it, you know, Kirby can only play the hand he's dealt. He, he tried to get, you know, they were going to play Oklahoma. That's what Georgia wanted to do. But this is the hand that he's dealt instead. So since this is the hand that he's dealt, what do you do with it? How do you win? A ch- it's about winning championships, right? And what is the best way to play your first two games if you're trying to win a championship? Well, the answer is to build depth. You, you know, there's some questions at some different positions where you need to play some young guys. Um, there's been a lot of guys that have cycled out. I mean, those 24 guys to the NFL the last two years, there's been other guys ready to step up, but we're seeing a lot of youth now at positions where, you know, Jack linebacker in particular behind Chaz Chambliss, you know, they got to have snaps. Kirby was talking about how there's formations with two Jack linebackers on the field at one time. He's trying to get these guys work. And I think this is so important. Jordan Hall, uh, big baby hall. This is a guy who led the D line and snaps, Last week, even though he's second or third, why? Because he's got huge upside, because there's only one way to get better beyond those practices that you've already got, and that is game repetition. The action is intense. It's a different feel. Um, You know, Jamal Jarrett, another guy you're seeing work in there a little bit. I think Kirby has invested into building championship depth more than he's invested on doing anything on the scoreboard. I mean, let's be honest here. George is still number one. Okay. And Georgia has done it Kirby's way. He doesn't need to beat somebody 73 to zero from week to week to prove to everybody that he's number one. So, and and being number one right now doesn't mean anything, by the way. So for Kirby, that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah, it's good for recruiting and it's good for program branding, but the big picture is how does he win a third championship? And so the scoreboard is not nearly as important as the repetitions that he's getting these other guys. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind when we look at Georgia, ah, 48 to seven, 45 to three, you know, yawn. It hasn't been, you know, fantastic. Yeah, they're still winning. I mean, my goodness, they've still outscored teams by 84 points in two games. 
And we're all kind of sitting around going, yeah, but it could be so much better. It could be better. And it will be better against better competition. But right now is an opportunity for Georgia to play a lot of players and get the confidence in the uh, in these players and get them these game reps. And I think it's brilliant by Kirby. I, you know, if, if if Georgia would have played Texas or Alabama Saturday night, I'm not sure they would have won. And I was at that game, and I'm just not sure. That was a high-level football game. There was some championship-level plays. Quinn Ewers made some throws. And, and I'll just say it. If they played Alabama nine times more, I don't know that they'd win one because it took some unbelievable execution by Texas, and it took some – really bad scheming by Alabama and particularly Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow having that kid throw the ball into the flats on an opening drive. See, that's where Kirby runs it. Okay. Kirby wouldn't have gotten himself in trouble with, you know, that sort of pass in that situation. You know, they start slow. A lot of people complain about that, but look, they're trying to establish the run. And this is why, because a mistake like that early in the game can cost you. And that's what happened. Texas converted into a field goal. They got confidence. I don't know that I'd say it quieted the crowd, but it certainly gave Quinn Ewers confidence. And Texas never really lost the momentum. Even when Alabama took the lead late into the third quarter on the Jermaine touchdown catch, Jermaine Burton touchdown catch, it was 16 third time going, okay, here we go. This is when, uh uh, Texas went right back down the field. And uh, give Ewers a lot of credit. Maybe I'm just grossly underestimating this guy, but I'd heard a statistic. Um, Greg McElroy had said that last year, Quinn Ewers only completed 22% of his passes of more than 20 yards downfield. And he was 0 for 7 in the opener against Rice. So I'm thinking if and if you can't hit the deep ball on the, and outside the numbers on Alabama or Georgia, for that matter, because you saw Ball State, you heard his coach, the Ball State coach said, this is where Georgia gives you something outside the numbers deep. You got to have guys that can run by somebody. You got to have a quarterback that can throw it. And then you got to have a receiver that can go up and get it, right? Texas had all those things, but not much margin for error. And to their credit, they played a great football game. Uh, they snapped what was a 57-game regular season win streak against non-conference teams. They snapped what was a 21-game home win streak. Now, Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs now, with the longest home win streak in college football, dating back to South Carolina, 2019. As you recall, Will Muschamp on the sidelines for the Gamecocks that day. So going to be very interesting to see how Georgia approaches South Carolina this year. Last year, they blew them out. It was like Jamal Dumas Johnson said. Somebody said, what do you remember about last year's game? He said, just sandstorm in the first quarter, and it was pretty much over after that. And, and that is a very accurate depiction of how much of a blowout that game was. That is when I sat back and I said, okay, you know, and Stetson played great that day. I said, this, this Georgia team, they, I, did they, would they score on their first six or seven drive? No, that was the Oregon game. It all runs together because the Georgia offense was such a blur of success early last year. Stetson had made a, a giant leap in his mechanics uh, from 2021 to 2020. He was a much better quarterback. Uh, Munkin had had a year to build an offense around him and all the complimentary pieces were there. Kenny, Kenny McIntosh was, was playing outstanding. Ladd was breaking out. Bowers was breaking out. Um, it was just the start of last year. Georgia was just spectacular. And uh, this year they haven't been okay, but remember they're not having to play Oregon in the opener. So this gives Kirby the luxury of playing a lot of young guys and maybe finding answers um, answers for now and answers for later in the year because there will be players that go down there will be challenges and we saw it last year 
And you're going to see it this year. It's inevitable, right? I mean, there's always at least uh, some form of attrition in SEC football. It's a very physical league. So a lot of the gains that Georgia is making right now are kind of hidden, all right? But they will emerge later. It's kind of like planting seeds, right? They're planting the seeds of these young guys and giving them this playing times like water in those seeds. And so now they're growing faster because of the playing time. And it's going to make Georgia a much better team in October and November. So I know a lot of people are bummed out that, you know, Georgia's had some slow starts. Um, but I look at it and I go, man, Kirby is really going to work on this roster. And they got some more things to figure out. Um, I don't know that I think they're the best team in the country right now. But it's like Kirby said, they don't have to be. You know, nobody said you got to be the best team in the country after week one or week two. All you got to do is win every game. Just, you know, win each game and the rest takes care of itself, right? It's it's what are the old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Kind of like that. Georgia doesn't need to worry about looking like the best team. This week, they just, they need to worry about beating South Carolina and getting the most out of those snaps. Whether that means they're able to play three quarterbacks or not, or play these young defensive linemen or tinker around a little bit more with the offensive line that has not been as good as advertised. Not yet. There's been some communication issues. Uh, Ernest Green kind of earning his stripes. He's a young man, a redshirt freshman, hadn't played ball in a while. Um, I say give it time, give it snaps, and that will give Georgia an opportunity uh, to round into form. So I thought that was pretty interesting talking with Kirby Smart uh, about the SEC. And I said, and I asked, I said, Kirby, I, I know, you know, and I already know Kirby's very focused on his own team. I said, but if you could just step back, you know, we've seen Alabama lose to Texas. We've seen LSU lose to Florida State. We've seen AM lose to Miami. Um, what's the takeaway? And Kirby said, you know, you're, you know, you're right. He had more important, like, I, I do have more important things. But what he pointed out was a very salient point Texas, Miami, Florida State, these are programs that are on the come up. These are teams that have been improving. It's not like these SEC teams went out there and, and, and just, you know, lost to some, you know, half, you know, program. These are very good championship contenders from other leagues. I don't know about Miami. Wait, jury's out on that a little bit. Uh, but certainly Texas and Florida State, um, you know, these are very good football teams. So the fact that the SEC's lost these games, I mean, I guess you throw in their South Carolina losing to North Carolina, um, you know, but hey, Auburn went on the road, got a very big win at Cal. Uh, Mississippi State hung on against a very improved Arizona team. There has been some wins. Um, Auburn in particular, and I, I just feel like Auburn is sneaky good. I just can't get away from the imagery. I went to the Auburn LSU game last year, standing on the sideline. There's about eight and a half minutes left in the second quarter. And I'm looking at the clock and Auburn's winning 17 to zero over LSU halfway through the second quarter. I think about the Auburn Georgia game last year. And I seem to recall Auburn, Georgia having trouble getting out of the gate. In fact, I want to say, and check me, this is, I, I should know this off the top of my head, but I want to say Georgia didn't score in the first quarter. Is that right? Was, was, was the Saturday game against Ball State the first time Georgia hadn't scored in the first quarter since Auburn? If I'm wrong, tear me up, kill me in the comments. But it, I, I, I definitely remember that a lad McConkey punt return kind of really just got things going. It took a lad punt return. I mean, they were just... Things were just struggling. Like, it shouldn't have been a struggle, but it was. And Auburn has that ability, particularly at home, to play teams close like that. They they, they can kind of play above. It's almost like Jordan-Hare Stadium. It's such a small town, and everybody just gets so hyped up. And 
getting a road win at Cal in a game of that nature, you know, interception in the end zone to clinch it, that's a real confidence booster. You know, guys grow from that. They come back feeling like they've gone to war somewhere and they've won. And even though it's Cal, and even though a lot of people didn't see it, even though the numbers aren't pretty, that was a galvanizing win for Auburn. Auburn is going to have momentum when they play Georgia at home at the end of the month. And I know you got South Carolina this week and you got UAB, but that Auburn game, mark my words, that's going to be a bear. And, uh, you know, Auburn's got a two-quarterback system. Um, we're going to have to see where Georgia is. Two things, the running game. You know, Dylan Bell's run, look, it was just one run. But the cuts that guy made were spectacular. And, and I haven't used the word spectacular for a run at Georgia, uh, a run like that, that specific style, since DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift was spectacular at times. I thought Kenny McIntosh and James Cook were very good. And certainly Zamir White was very uh, durable and reliable in what he did. But Bell's run was spectacular. The, the vision, the cuts. I, could he do it again? I don't know. I don't get to go to practices. Kirby does. He's obviously used this guy there before. When I asked Tyke Smith about it, he kind of smiled sheepishly. It's almost like Georgia knew the secret. The players knew the secret, right? They knew what Dylan Bell could do. How much more do we see Dylan Bell in the backfield? I, that remains to be seen. You know, Del McGee's used kind of a running back by committee. Um, you know, Georgia's won championships like that. I, I just, I'm not sure about the committee. Kirby intimated that Dejon Edwards will be back, could have played last Saturday. I'll be interested to see what version of Dejon we get. Kirby said he wanted to go from 80 to 90 to 100% healthy. Um, what does 100% healthy Dejon Edwards look like in his, is it already his senior year? Wow, time flies. How much closer is Kendall Milton? You know, Kendall, uh, you know, a talented runner, huge upside. I think we all know the hamstring has slowed him down. He hasn't really been himself. He's still awful good. Uh, but when does Milt get all the way back? That's another one. Cash Jones made a nice catch, just not a guy you're going to run between the tackles. And and Roderick Robinson is a guy that Kirby Smart says need to run behind his pads more. That's the head coach telling the 240-pound freshman he wants to see him knock some people over. And uh, and I think we'll see that. I think, you know, as the year goes on, this is, this is part of what Georgia does. They develop and they get better as the year goes. The question is, can they avoid the upset along the way? And I think they're good at least for two more weeks. I think the Auburn game is going to be a test. They should win that. Um, the running game will continue to get better. The line will continue to get better. What happens with Carson Beck? Carson had a, a, a scramble, fumble. Can't do that. Kirby said can't do that. Uh, interception. Um, made some good decisions and made some good throws. Made some not so good throws. Um, you know, so how much more ceiling does Carson Beck have this year? Uh, at some point you wonder – if we're going to see a sharper version of Carson, I'll be honest. I had extremely high expectations. I think he is a better quarterback than he has shown you so far. Now, a lot of this is newness. Uh, a lot of this, I mean, these are only two, he's only had two starts under his belt. It is different on game day than in practice. He hasn't had Lad McCocky and he didn't have Brock Bowers for a big part of that last game. You know, Bowers looks a little banged up growing something looked a little slow to me. Um, and, you know, you've got other guys still learning the office, right? You know, love it. Rara Thomas. These guys, these guys are new, new to the program. So I want to see how quarterback play evolves. I want to see the run game get better. The defensive line, Kirby said that there were too many occasions where they were getting pushed back a little bit. Not used to saying that. And, and listen, I think the big takeaway, Jalen Carter was unbelievable. And we knew when he was here, I don't know if we knew how unbelievable. We knew he was a first-team All-American. 
We knew it was the best team in the nation. What we didn't know is this, we, we may be talking about an NFL Hall of Famer. And, and it's not an exaggeration. It's very early in his career. He's got to stay healthy, stay with the right team, all that good stuff. But he absolutely killed it in his NFL debut. He had a sack and I think six quarterback pressures. Nobody's going to block this guy one-on-one. I mean, this guy is just, when he's hungry, he's an animal. And you saw it last year against Tennessee. You saw it with the block field goal against Alabama in the national championship game. I thought that was a turning point. I could make the argument or I could suggest that if Georgia doesn't have Jalen Carter, they may not have a national championship right now. It, and because think about it, Georgia's had those games where they've had four or five guys that have just made unbelievable plays that have led to titles. Every team that wins national championship has those guys, those three or four or five guys that if you take one of them away, maybe a game gets away. The question is, who are those guys going to be this year for Georgia, right? I said it in the offseason. I think Jamon Dumas-Johnson, whoever's at quarterback, um, Javon Bullard, Malachi Starks, um, you know, the, Cedric Van Pran. These are difference maker guys, not just in their play, but how they affect their teammates. So first half of the show, I'm glad you joined us tonight on our Ingles on the Beat program. I love doing the show. Cannot wait to bring Ben Watson on. He does unbelievable work. I hope you stay up and watch SEC now and watch Ben. Um, not only did he have a fantastic NFL career, a Georgia career, but this is a guy I think Georgia fans are very proud of. The way he represents the G. Um, I, I know a lot of uh, Georgia coaches and players, big fans of Ben Watson. I am personally a guy that admires his work as an analyst. Obviously, I knew him as a player. Uh, but when I watch what he does in the studio and how well he breaks things down, um, really impressive. I mean, just uh, the guy's an absolute superstar. So uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Please give me your attention. Give me your support. Uh, we couldn't do this without Ingles. You know, Ingles has always been there for us. I go all the way back to the COVID year and uh, and how we were able to count on Ingles being there for us. They're still there for us, still supplying your needs. Our sponsor, Ingles. When we come back, Ben Watson. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. As promised now, bringing you former Georgia standout NFL veteran Ben Watson. And, of course, you see Ben now on the SEC Network. He does the SEC Now programming, uh, also breaking things down with SEC Football Final. And, uh, Ben, let's just jump right into it. You've gone from the NFL to the broadcast booth. How's that transition gone for you here? Man, I have so much respect for what you and others do. Uh, this is not easy, uh, I, I, I swear. And I'm just doing the SEC, but the amount of time that goes into learning the personnel and the formations and the schedules and the storylines, I mean, in order to kind of have a great grasp on what's going on is tough. But I tell you what, it's been exciting. It's really been exciting because I've only been doing it for two years. This is my third year. And Georgia has won the national championship every single year I've been working. So I can't complain at all. Well, I think we're on to something here. Got to make sure we keep <laughs> it on TV then. Uh, good things happen with Ben in the booth. I see you wearing your, your Georgia colors. Now, you're not, they don't let you do that on Saturday nights, right? So you had to break it up. They don't. I have, to, I have to wear, like, you know, an undershirt that has Georgia on it. But uh, got to be a little bit more objective. But when I'm home and 
you know, picking up the kids from school and stuff is usually a Georgia t-shirt or some short. That's awesome. So now we know that there's always some Georgia gear on Ben Watson. May not show it on the outside, but somewhere under that suit and tie, uh, Ben is representing. So let me ask you, just looking at your NFL career, and we're going to get into the dogs in the SEC in a minute, but obviously you had a, a tremendous NFL career. 16 years, and you played for Bill Belichick more than once. First round draft pick. Um, are there similarities between Belichick and Kirby. I just wonder because you know Saban was a Belichick guy and Kirby was on. Do you see any parallels there between those coaches and their approach? Well, I'll tell you what, it's it's always interesting when you think about coaching trees and how much influence there is between different coaching staffs and those sorts of things. You know, but Bill is very straightforward. Um, he does have a sense of humor though, kind of behind the scenes. He's very matter-of-fact, he has a very high standard, and I, I do see that in, in Kirby. I I see a guy with a lot of energy, a guy who um, does not compromise the standard, um, someone who's a great motivator. Uh, I've, I've been able to go to practice a few different times over the last couple of years, and he is a hands-on teacher, especially defensively. And I can remember that, you know, being in New England for those seven years, six years in the beginning of one year at the very end of my career. And Bill was always hands-on, especially with the defense, moving guys out of the way, showing them how to do it. Uh, just that type of teacher. And you do see that uh, with Kirby. Um, and then obviously, I think the, the, the results speak for themselves um, Two two organizations, two coaches who are able to put together a coaching staff and kind of get these championship type results. Yeah, you're right about Kirby not wavering on the standards, Ben. And and uh, one of the things we do hear a lot about George is about their practices. I talked with Jim Nagy, the senior bowl executive director. He travels around to different practices. Was there anything else that struck you about the nature of Kirby's practices and, and it's, it's hard to compare, you know, to the Mark Richt area, obviously football has changed. Um, but was there anything that jumped out at you in those practices other than the fact that you did see Kirby uh, hands-on maybe the speed of it or uh, the way they approached it? Yeah. It's a totally different game now. <laughs> I mean, we were out there full pads all the time, um, walking uphill both ways in the snow, you know, you know, it's, it's one of those, one of those things, but the, the, the tempo, I would say the tempo of practice is different. And I think that's something that Kirby kind of brought. You, you see a lot of NFL teams kind of going towards this as well, this, this tempo practice where um, guys are moving from drill to drill very rapidly. Um, there's kind of an attention to detail in that way. There's kind of sudden change that goes on. And you see that in Kirby's practices where he's got a microphone, he's got the whistle, he's telling guys to run from from place to place and you get a lot done, but also you get conditioning and you also condition your mind to be mentally tough to perform when you're tired and you're under duress. Uh, and so th that is a totally different style of practice that um, we had back then. And even and even my first you know, several years in the league where it was more of a methodical type of practice that was scripted. Nowadays, teams are starting to play. Uh, more quickly during games. And because of that, they're playing more quickly in practices. Yeah. Well, it's, it's worked so far. Um, albeit, you know, and we'll talk about Georgia in a second. I want to ask you about the start they've gotten off to, but first I want to go league wide with you. And I had an opportunity last Saturday night to be in Tuscaloosa and, and I'll probably upset some people by saying this, but I don't know if Alabama loses another game. And let me tell you where I'm coming from. Hmm. It, it looked to me like Alabama had all the pieces and the parts and they just weren't as put together as Texas. And, and Quinn Ewers made some throws, Ben, that 
I, I don't know if he's ever going to make those throws again. I mean, that <laughs> rainbow throw, that's, that's a one in a million. And maybe maybe I'm looking at it through SEC goggles, but tell me what you saw in the Texas-Alabama game. Were you surprised by the result and how that game played out? You know, I um, you know have picked Alabama uh, to win, uh, but I was, I was a bit surprised, I think, by the physicality of Texas. Um, not by the fact that they played that style of all of defense, but just the way they were able to impose the will a lot of times on Alabama, especially um, defensively on Alabama's offensive line. And there were several times, and I just, I was just looking at the film. Um, there were several times where you saw penetration in the backfield. You saw a corner blitz come and the, and the running back not be able to defend against that bad technique, getting run over those sorts of things. Milrow's ceiling is really high. And so, He's able to make up for some of that. But um, and then the other thing I would say, Texas offense, the way they they drew up plays and the way they put um, Alabama's defense, especially when Alabama was in cover four, the, the touchdown pass to Xavier Worthy was because the safety came down and had no help over the top. And so those types of play designs did kind of surprise me. Uh, but I, 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 I kind of agree with you as far as Alabama's going to bounce back. They have pieces there. They're just not mature enough yet. Yeah. And in, in Milrose, you said huge ceiling. That was only his third start. Exactly. And- exactly. I mean, there was one play where he should have been sacked, but he escapes and he gets a first down um, running to the right side uh, of the field because he's that type of an athlete. Sometimes losing a game like that. I mean, Nick Saban will never tell you he wants to lose games, but sometimes losing a game like that can bring a sense of urgency. And and it may be a coachable moment for Milrow. I was actually talking with David Cutcliffe in the press box about Milrow, and he said, you know what, where Jalen's at right now in, in his career as a quarterback, it needs to be pre-snap read, post-snap read, alarm clock goes off. And it it looked to me like maybe he was trying to be a little bit more like Bryce Young and even Saban said, hold the ball. So I don't know, Ben, when we're going to see Bama with an 0-2 turnover uh, deficit again this year, but it, it probably – I mean, you bring that up, the turnovers. I mean, last year, the turnovers were a problem because they only generated about, what, I think seven seven turnovers or seven interceptions and three forced fumbles last year. And so that had to be a point of emphasis. And when you don't get those turnovers and you can't score at will on offense, it's tough. And defensively for Alabama, you, you look at Texas offense, they average eight yards of play on first down. Yeah, amazing. So it put them in an advantageous position. When you're getting that type of, of movement on first down, to whatever they want to call. Sarkeesian wants to call on second down, third down. And so Texas came in with the plan and they ex- executed it in a hostile environment. And, and they and they had to. Not much of a margin for error in that stadium. As you said, they stayed on schedule, really yeah. kept Alabama from uh, blitzing. I think it was until third or fourth quarter. I think we looked up and there was a third and long and Bama was finally able to pin your ears back. Um, moving on, LSU. I, I don't want to forget all about LSU. I mean, I know that the second half of the Florida State game, everybody's ready to write that team off. But Brian Kelly is a really, really, really good coach. I mean, I think we've seen that. Darn near pulled one off with Notre Dame in Sanford Stadium. I thought kind of maybe out coached Kirby in 2019. Dogs, dogs pulled it out. But th- this is a guy who really can X and O, two good quarterback options. When you look into your crystal ball on LSU this year <laughs> – what are your thoughts on the Tigers? I know you and I are both bullish on the tide to win the West. Obviously, LSU plays there. But what do you see ahead for LSU football this season? I mean, coming into the season, I look at LSU and say, I mean, this team has a quarterback. They've got a coach. They've come off a SEC West championship. I mean, they've got all those things going for them. And then they get 
pretty much demolished by Florida State. They weren't able to stop anybody defensively. They couldn't they couldn't hang with the wide receivers of Florida State. And so I think for LSU, it's kind of circling the wagons. Look, they started like this last year. They got it together. Um, I think there's hope in that for them and the fact that there's still time left. Um, but they're going to have to play a lot better coming down the stretch. No doubt about it. a couple teams. Now, Old Miss is still unbeaten, went on the road, got a tough one against Tulane, pulled away late. AM, a team that really let me down. I, I really thought I was. Dude, they uh, let me down too. Right? Weren't you having visions with Bobby Petrino? We forgot about the defense, man. Uh, but but the defense has been good, though. Like the defense has been stout and they didn't play well. Um, They had, I mean, they had like the number one passing defense in the SEC last year. And for them to go out against Miami, who granted Miami has retooled their offense. They've got a new offensive coordinator. They've got weapons, but the defense is where Texas A&M is supposed to be stout. And they let them. And then there were a lot of big plays. You get the kickoff return for a touchdown. You have a, a fumble by Texas A&M at a really, really bad time. They aren't, aren't able to recover from that. And so, uh, you know, they needed to go win on the road. They were 0-4 on the road last year. This was an opportunity for them to kind of take that next step. And instead, we're sitting here talking about what if from Texas A&M. And that seems like something that we're always talking about with Texas A&M over the last several years. It's kind of what if, when is this going to happen? I can say this. I think that Connor Wigman um, has progressed. I see where he is, uh, you know, mastering the offense a bit. I think that having Petrino there as someone to develop him as a quarterback has been beneficial for him. Offensively, they got a lot of weapons, but for some reason, I don't know what it is. They can't seem to put it all together in a time when it counts. And you look at their schedule. I mean, they still, they've got to play everybody in the West, still LSU, Alabama, the list goes on. This was a game I thought they had to have. I think it was a must win for them. And quite honestly, I'm wondering what's going to happen after this. Yeah, yeah, I am too, because my goodness, I mean, uh, they've given Jimbo everything that he's needed and a lot of time. And, you know, I'm not the one writing the checks there, but you you do kind of wonder. <laughs> those if, if you were if you were the one writing the checks there, you had some really deep pockets if you were writing those checks. Well, you know what? They do. And they do, and they do have very, they do, they do. They gave him a hundred million to come. They can give him about half that to go. I don't, it's too, too soon to say, too, I'm not ready to write him off, but man, that was a very disappointing loss for AM. Old Miss, you know, a team that obviously started last year fast, kind of, you know, uh, petered out at the end of the year, losing streak. This is a team now two years in a row, 14 transfers. One thing about Lane Kiffin, his quarterbacks are good. You, you yeah. saw third or four stringer there for UT Martin slinging it around. That guy couldn't even get on the field at Ole Miss. He, he probably started some of the SEC schools. But are the Rebels a team to be taken serious? Georgia's got a date with them in November. Is this yeah. a team that – are they worthy of dark horse status or are they just no chance that they win the West? What do you think? I, I don't think they're a dark horse as in nobody sees them or they're not on anybody's radar. If you ask anybody around the SEC – they'll say that Lane Kiffin is one of the great offensive minds. And they'll say that you look at his offenses, especially, I mean, the way Jackson Dart is connecting with Trey Harris and other wide receivers. I mean, the past game looked to be in midseason form already, even in the first game. And so they're not going to sneak up on anybody offensively to where you didn't expect them to be as good as they are. Now, defensively, they struggled a bit against Tulane, even with Tulane not having Michael Pratt, you know, their starting quarterback. And so, I think for them, it's always it's always the kind of conundrum, conundrum you have when you have an offensive coach. When I played on teams with an offensive coach, 
I was like, yeah, this is going to be great offensively. Defensively, just do enough to make us have to keep on scoring touchdowns. That's what you want. And so that's the balance, I think, is where Ole Miss is going to struggle. And, then, and that's where they have struggled. Okay, well, now I can't believe we're this far into the interview. We haven't asked about the rivals. I mean, <laughs> ever happened to Florida and Auburn? And I got to tell you, man, I, that trip to Auburn, and now a lot of people are just writing off, oh, well, they played bad. People don't know this, Ben. I mean, I was only four teams, but that's the first time an SEC team's won at Memorial Stadium. And 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 you you as a pro, I mean, those West Coast swings. I mean, that's a that's a real thing. I mean, is Auburn a team to kind of keep an eye on with Hugh Freeze in year one? You know, that game was so late. I saw some of it <laughs> when we got done. I actually saw most of it because we don't get done with SEC final until like you know twelve thirty. So I was able to see some of it, but. You can't take for granted going to the West Coast and playing in a hostile environment and all the travel. I mean, to go out there and get a win is is really great for your program, especially for Hugh Freeze being his first, you know, trip out there to win. First trip for Auburn, I think, since what was it, 2003 or something like that. USC. Yeah. Oh, no, no, ever. They've never been to California. I don't think Auburn has it. And so to do that um, is really bodes well for his program, but also the way they were able to face a Cal team that ran the ball very well. Um, defensively, um, I, I thought that that Auburn played well, especially their linebacker. He was all over the place making plays. That kind of two-quarterback system they've got going on is still voting well for them. I think Robbie Ashford and Peyton Thorne can both contribute. And so, you know, I, Auburn is another team. No, I don't pick them to win the West, but I think that they are – far ahead, I think, than what a lot of people thought they would be, especially after two weeks, and really what, what I thought they would be with an entire new coaching staff, bringing in transfers, trying to get guys to jail. Uh, they they are further along the, tr the railroad track, so to speak, than where I think a lot of people thought. Yeah, it feels like they're going to beat somebody they shouldn't. feels like they've got an upset in them. Then. Oh, yeah, of course. I think there's, I think we're going to see a lot of that. And, and, I mean, let's be honest about the SEC – you know, Mike, it's kind of kind of been kind of tough for us the last, the last couple of weeks. I mean, we haven't we haven't done very well in Power Five play, and so I think there's kind of a uh, you know kind of an openness in the conference to some of those upsets as we get into SEC play. Yeah, well, big one this Saturday night in Gainesville. What do you think the Tennessee Florida game means for Billy Napier and for the Tennessee Vols? For for Billy Napier. Um, you know, you, you I kind of talked about this with Texas A&M being a must win. But but I think this this game is it's either a must win or a must be close. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and when you look at it, yeah, when you look at it, I mean, Tennessee is rushing the ball well. Florida ran the ball well last week against McNeese State. But Bill and Napier needs a, a, another signature win. I mean, the, the signature win he had last year was in, at, uh, when Utah came to town at the very beginning of the year last year. And it's kind of been rough for them since then having losing back-to-back -back losing seasons and all those sorts of things and you know starting off at 500 they can get a win against a Tennessee team that you know led the league in scoring last year uh that does not look to be as explosive on offense this year um although they you know Joe Milton can still can, can still get you uh this will be a big win for them I think it's I think if anything they need to be competitive what we expect from Florida is that they play good run defense. They run the ball well. They're competitive, especially at home. And so to have Tennessee come in at home, they need to have a good showing. I, you know, you talk about the money, Napier. I don't know what his buyout is. I, I you know, I never want to speculate on anybody losing their job. I don't think that's going to happen. 
nothing's come out saying that the Florida brass is ready to move on from him at all. But what I can say is that there are certain teams that your alumni want you to win. And this will be a huge one if they could they could pull this off against Tennessee. $31 million, Ben. $31 million. I know you, you don't want to know, not, you know, but let me, did you ever play in an offense? I'll switch it over to Tennessee. Did you ever play in an offense? I saw you had some big years. I think your 12th yeah. year, you put, I don't know how you did it. 12, the 12th year is usually not supposed to be the career year, Ben, but your number, I know, I know. You're in the NFL were just crazy. Did you ever play in an offense anything similar to what we're seeing from Tennessee? And what some people have called it a gadget. Is that not fair? What we're seeing, what the Vols do there? You said some people don't call it a gimmick. Is that what they, you they call it? A, a gadget off? Yeah, gimmick but, offense, gadget offense. I mean, it's not. It's not really gadgety to me. I mean, when I look at what they're doing with hypo, it's they're spreading the field. They're using all fifty-three in the third. Those right. those receivers get all the way. They can touch the the referee on the sideline. Like that's how far they get out wide, and they put a lot on the receivers to read the coverage and to convert. And the quarterback has to be on the same page. I think that. The tempo also is what gets defenses off in the fact that they they have fast athletic wide receivers that can get deep into the defense very quickly. Um, only thing I can compare that to uh, Sean Payton's offense in New Orleans. We, we, we didn't run with that type of a tempo, but an offensive minded head coach, a guy who is like, I got to have somebody to take over the top, you know, whether it's Brandon Cooks or whether it is uh, Ted Ginn Jr., or whether it's Robert Meacham who played at Tennessee, you had to have a speedster that would go down the field, take the top off so you could hit some of these deep crossings underneath. And then just a guy who would make up plays on the sideline, Sean Payton would see something and draw it up, and then we would go out there and run it. And and then obviously you got a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees to, to, to play point guard. Uh, for an offensive player, it's exciting. But what surprised me about Tennessee, honestly, is their ability to run the football. I mean, I think last year, that last week, they ran for about 250 or almost 300 yards. I mean, they've been top of the SEC so far in running the ball, which is not what you expect from them. But if I'm Tennessee on offense and I can run the ball well, you know what's going to happen next? I'm going to be able to hit these shots uh, in the passing game. Yep, yep, yep. I'm going to switch it over to Georgia now, and that's a really good transition. I was going to ask you about Bowers. I'll ask about that in a minute. But you just went into the ability to run the ball, setting up the shot plays. And Kirby was – was pretty um, uh, direct about that in the opener. Uh, now he's saying that maybe you can run the ball by getting all the. How, how important is it for Georgia though to to get this well, to get this interior run game going? I mean, is is this a must thing for Georgia to win another championship, Ben? Well, I think you look at our offense and how we're built. Uh, we're, we're built to have, you know, running back maybe by committee, but a strong running game, and. The running game has to be strong, not only for the sake of just running the football, but it sends a message to the defense when your offensive line can impose their will on a defense. And when you watch Georgia over the last couple of years, I mean, even in that national championship game, now it was a blowout, granted, against TCU. But one thing you noticed was the offensive line was still bullying the defensive line. Um, great communication. Their zone blocks were tight. Um, no penetration. And over the last couple of weeks, I, look, I think Georgia's offensive line is – um, you know, best in the SEC, one of the best in the country for sure. But in watching them over the last couple of weeks, there have been times where they, they just didn't seem to be on the same page. Um, there was, you know, a, an unblocked defender that was lined up on the line of scrimmage, or there was, 
you know, leakage on a zone block or something like that, where they just didn't. And those always end up usually in tackles for loss or at least disruptions for a quarterback trying to throw the ball downfield. And so I, I think running the football is as much about the productivity as it is about the mentality of your team and the identity of your team. And, and, and part of running the football um, is blocking on the perimeter. And, you know, wide receivers have to make blocks downfield. They have to have good leverage. They have to um, be be physical at the point of attack. If you're going to play with a, a short pass game, kind of the now passes out in the flat or the quick screens, you've got to have wide receivers, tight ends who are willing to go out there and block on the perimeter because those are all catch and, catch and run plays. And where, where Georgia has been excellent, um, they've had receivers that can block over the last couple of years. This year, when you've seen some of those plays only go for a yard or two yards and people get upset and they're like, why do we call that play? Well, the play design wasn't bad. It was a good play design. It's just if a guy misses a block on the perimeter and the receiver is catching the ball out there after one yard, he has no chance to advance the football. So collectively, you know, last week they run for what, 99, 99 yards, I believe, you know, right under 100 yards. Got some injuries in the in the running back room. Dylan Bell moves over from wide receiver. He had probably the, the most exciting run on that touchdown run when he reversed field and made some guys miss. And so I think the good thing is that you get some guys healthy, you get some other guys opportunities to to develop and to play. And then um, you know, once you get into SEC play, it's imperative that you're able to run the football. Teams that can run the football and play defense seem to win. Um, it's it's tried and true. Yep. Now, now one of your favorite topics, tight end. I had a coach named Jim Bowman uh, covered at Michigan State, was also at Ohio State. He was telling me the tight end position is the most difficult position to play in football. Now, quarterbacks obviously have to be very cerebral, but tight ends have to be able to block. They have to run patterns. They have to be able to catch. It pretty much, you know, maybe from a physical standpoint, the most demanding. And And yet there's so many different types, you know, as you're talking about Having to block, I'm thinking, boy, did they miss Darnell Washington. That guy could just cave in an entire side of a line. And he only caught 28 balls, but he may have been one of the most difficult matchups in college football, period. How much do they miss Darnell, number one? And number two, tell me what comes to mind when when I say Brock Bowers. I just say Brock Bowers, go. I know that's that's not the most creative interview technique, but I got to believe for a tight end watching Brock Bowers, uh, it's got to be some somewhat of a work of art. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, as far as tight ends go, when I first got to New England in 2004, Tom Brady came up to me and he says, you know what, the hardest position in this offense outside of quarterback is tight end, so get ready. And he was absolutely right. As tight ends, you have to know the run game, the pass game, you got to read coverages, you have to be able to make side adjustments, you have to know all the line calls, and you got to be physical enough and fast enough to block bigger guys and run past smaller guys. That's why you always see tight ends getting injured, myself being one of them. Uh, so so uh, I do uh, you know, appreciate the position. And one thing I did wonder, um, even in the first game, was how we were going to, how Georgia was going to be able to um, compensate, I guess, for losing Darnell Washington. I mean, he he gets overlooked sometimes because of the numbers in the past game. But I tell you what, I, I had a teammate named Daniel Graham for a long time, and he was probably the best blocker on our team. And what that affords an offense, we have a tight end who can cave down one side of the line, who can block a DN, who can help you in the passing game, but can literally be relied upon in the run game. That's that's invaluable. And so I, I wonder what Jordan was going to do. And in watching Oscar Delt 
not as big as Darnell Washington at all. Um, he's 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 improved. He's gained some weight. I see him playing well at the point of attack. There were a couple of plays in the last game where Georgia ran kind of um, crack toss where he had to block down on the defensive end, and he did a good job of sealing the edge. Seemed like a lot stronger than he was last year, and so I think that that's been a point of emphasis. Um, but not having Darnell Washington, I mean that, that dude is just he just he was just different. Like the, I think he's like the Shaquille O'Neal of tight ends. Just, just yeah. that body was just huge. Dude, he was, and if he's a Shaquille O'Neal, um, you know, Brock Bowers is the Michael Jordan. I mean, a guy who could do everything. Play, you know, Jordan could play defense, play offense. He could dunk. He could shoot the jumper. He could motivate you. Like he could do everything. And when I watch Brock Bowers, I really believe he's the most complete player at any position. For for a position player, he he does his position the best out of out of anybody. Um, I just saw a bit, I just posted a clip on Twitter of him um, blocking downfield and throwing a DB, dumping him on his head 20 yards downfield. And, you know, look at watching him um, break tackles and, you know, just the ways that they're able to get him the football, whether it's a, a speed sweep or a reverse or, you know, obviously throwing the ball downfield. I mean, the more you get the ball into his hands, the better. But also it's the things that he does when he doesn't have the ball in his hands as I mentioned before, blocking downfield and um, being reliable in all those phases. Uh, he's but honestly, my only, my, my only regret is that he's not in the league already. And I know that sounds crazy coming from a Georgia fan because I love to have him between the hedges, but to be honest with you, this dude was NFL ready after 12 games, after 12 games. Yeah. Kirby said that he said, this is a guy with a high ceiling and the challenges. How do you get him better? How does Mike Bobo use him? I think he might be a little slowed right now. It looked like he might've had a, a, a minor injury. I know they limited his snaps and, you know, with this schedule that George has got roster management now is so important. I don't know how y'all did it in the league. When I look at the NFL schedule, I said, I don't know how these guys go through 16 games in the deep playoffs. I mean, we're seeing the college coaches now adjusting. I really do think Kirby is, holding guys out that could go and, and and why not Ben and how big of an advantage is that for Georgia I know some people have kind of dogged Georgia for the schedule yeah. and I'm like look man you can't or you can't open with Oregon and Clemson every single year you finally got a break but how big of a break is that that then they've been able to play so many young guys and open with this sort of schedule as they go for a three-peat and really, the schedule wouldn't be what it was if we ended up playing Oklahoma last week. So, I mean, there's a totally different outlook on the schedule from people if we end up playing that game. We obviously don't. So the schedule is what it is. It's not Georgia's fault. I mean, you know, people mad at Georgia like they like they, like it's their fault. I mean, you play who you play in the East, then you have a rotating schedule, and then Oklahoma didn't work out. But when you look at this roster and you have injuries, I mean, like the one I mentioned in the backfield and getting a guy like like Bell involved at a running back position, does that that doesn't happen if you've got, you know, all the healthy backs that you've had. So I think that that will help them down the line. Look, if they had a schedule where they played Texas in week two, like Alabama did, I think that would be good for them as well. The fact that they don't didn't, I think that that's good as well. But the difference is how do coaches use whatever the schedule is as a motivating factor and as a way to benefit their football team. And when you listen to Kirby talk about the game and his players, it's always about getting better day by day. It's about not worrying about what's happening in the future. It's about perfecting your craft right now and playing complimentary football. And that's what you've seen. 
I mean, you get you get a punt return for a touchdown by um, Kai Muse, uh, you know, last week. That's going to help you down the line in the development of of, the, of him as a player, but also that unit. And so there are a lot of positives, I think, to the schedule. And and even if there weren't, it doesn't matter because that's what it is, and that's what you're going to play. We will find out. Everybody will find out who's good and who's not good by the end of this season. I promise you across the board, we'll all figure it out. Nobody's handing out championships in week three or week four. It's going to take till the end. And that goes for Georgia. It goes for Oregon. It goes for Alabama and Texas. Um, whoever's out there, we're going to find out in due time. All right, Ben. Well, we have found out that you are also very gifted and talented in your analysis for football, as well as a player. You've made this transition. I know a lot of Georgia fans are really proud of you and like to watch you on the SEC network and, and I know your coworkers there are thrilled to work with you as well. They were like, man, you've got to, you got to get Ben on Mike. You got to get, I said, all right, well, I'm going to give it a shot. So I really appreciate <laughs> all the time that you've given us on uh, dog nation tonight. Um, really appreciate our sponsor Ingalls. Uh, we come to you every Monday night. Don't forget each weekday at 10 AM it's Brandon Adams, Jeff Santel on Wednesday night uh, for my producer, Michael Carvel and the great Ben Watson. This is Mike Griffith. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you later this week. <laughs>